This is Grow Your Life with Jason Scott Montoya, a podcast with stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of Inspirational People. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, and today I get the opportunity of introducing you to my longstanding friend and fellow entrepreneur, Craig Haney. Craig, say hello. Hello. <laughs> hello to you. <laughs> Craig <laughs> is the founder and CEO of CablesandKits.com, a company historically focused on networking equipment and accessories, but amidst the coronavirus crisis has expanded its product portfolio to include safety products like masks and hand sanitizers. We'll dive into that a little bit later. After both of us moved to Atlanta, we got connected through our mutual attendance at First Baptist Atlanta Church. We quickly became friends and have shared life and work on and off for the last decade and a half. In my second book for small business owners, The Jump, um, Craig wrote both the introduction and the epilogue to set and reinforce the message of the book. But perhaps most importantly, we both love to watch movies. And be in them. Yes. So we were both an extra um, together on The Founder with Michael Keaton about the story of McDonald's. Um, And uh, so now that, you know, if you're like me and you also know Craig, you might be looking at this skinny man in front of me and wondering who he is. So skinny man, what have you done with the real Craig and where is he? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, it's a lot of fun and uh, love, uh, love our friendship and, and love the conversations that we get to have. And I'm really looking forward to today. Um, yeah, if you, if you do know me, you might say, yeah, this is, this is a smaller guy than I'm used to seeing. Uh, Late last year, do you have a you have a video filter that's making you skinny. Is that what? No, it is? <laughs> I, uh, here, here is an iPhone for reference. So it's um, the uh, late last year, I I, I kind of had some some stomach issues that kind of bubbled over, uh, and I, I had to literally. Go, well, <laughs> literally <yeah>. bubbled. <laughs> that's right, and I had to go get them seen about, and uh, through a you know couple of months of testing and this and that, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which uh, I you know, being the hard-headed person that I am, and I wouldn't say that I'm rejecting the diagnosis, but I'm certainly rejecting the uh, traditional treatment of here, here's a lifelong uh, prescription of medication that yeah. is an immunosuppressant. It just so happened that the diagnosis came uh, right as the coronavirus stuff was heating up. And, and of course, you know, the warnings were those most at risk include those that are, that, you know, have an, a suppressed immune system. And I was like, well, I'm not taking, yeah. you know, immunosuppressant drugs. So I've, I've been uh, working on natural remedies, seeing functional medicine doctors and, uh, and looking at, you know, the food that I eat and the supplements that I take as a way to, to try to get things under control. That being said, as I started that journey, uh, it radically changed my eating as I discovered that uh, through a test that I took that I was allergic or, or had an immune response is the way yeah. that they word it to dairy um, eggs, and then to some degree, gluten and a few other things. So I cut so many things out of my diet in an attempt to get healthy yeah. that I just started dropping weight and I've lost 50 pounds in the last like five months. And strictly so. from diet or were you exercising as well? No exercise whatsoever. Um, you yeah. know, I could do an infomercial, you know, you can lose 50 <laughs> pounds with absolutely no exercise. All you need to do is get a, get a good case of Crohn's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so, yeah. So that that's the, I would not suggest that that be the 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 vehicle that people yeah. choose. Well, uh, it's, to, so just it's interesting that you kind of wanted to to change your life to change your life. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when I shut down Noodlehead and I went through my my panic and anxiety and all that, 
you know, there was like talk of maybe she see a doctor and maybe she get medicine and da 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 da. And there was like the sense of okay, maybe that is a path, but if there's something I can do to to um, to not have to be reliant on those on those drugs and 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 things, I can just I can take control of my own health in a way. And so that sounds similar to what I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, one of the sayings that I have is I don't like mysteries. Yeah. Um, I really like to figure out what's going on, what causes an outcome, I, whether it be in business or I remember one time I was standing uh, at the office and in, in my warehouse and uh, I turned around and there was a box in the floor behind me. And I knew that that box wasn't there when I first walked up, I just knew it. And, and I said, where did this box come from? And the person that was standing with me said, I'm not sure. And we stood there for a few minutes figuring out what happened. And we remember, he remembered that, oh, you know what? I do remember somebody came and they sat it down and they got busy. And, and I said, okay, but I, I just, I wouldn't move on beyond that <laughs> mystery. I, it, yeah. I don't like mystery. So that being said, when the body goes haywire, I want to understand why, what is really at the core or the root of, of this particular problem. And what I've learned up to this point, not that this is the answer to absolutely everything, but it seems to be a very core element uh, of, of any sort of, um, you know, digestive tract issue is that antibiotics in too large of doses or too frequently kill the healthy bacteria in the gut and those healthy bacteria are what keep everything in balance. When the healthy bacteria get killed off, the bad bacteria overgrow, cause inflammation, and cause the symptoms that get diagnosed as Crohn's. Yeah. Now, you know, it, I'm no expert to say that that's the end all be all, but what I am understanding is that as we work to get our body back into uh, balance, our digestive system back into balance, it may not solve 100% of my problems. I, I hope and pray that it does. But even if it doesn't, it's it, it already is making a significant difference. Uh, and, and the biology of it makes perfect sense to me. So, yeah. so anyway, not liking the mystery and not wanting to just take the pill. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to understand what's really going on, what really caused this, and how can I potentially reverse it? So yeah. absolutely. Um, and I, and I, I highly encourage people to think about that in their life in general, just not yeah. just with health, but with other things. How did I get here? Yeah. You know, and how do I unwind that and, and, yeah. and go back down a different path that's healthier? Yeah. So what, what are some of those things for you that you're unwinding just that the crisis is illuminating for you? Hmm. The, the health crisis or the COVID well, crisis? Well, the coronavirus crisis or your immediate crisis or both or the combination of the two. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and this may not be a direct answer to your question, but the first thing that comes to mind is um, how we tend to continue doing things uh, that we've always done just because that's the way that we've always done them. Yeah. And how the uh, COVID uh, crisis has, has caused many people to be forced into a different way of doing things, even if just temporarily. Yeah. which gives the opportunity to think about is this the better way or was that the better way? Yeah. But either like, why way, why weren't we doing this a long time ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, either way, because yeah. you got thrown into a different way of doing things, either way you're forced to think about there are different ways to do things. Yeah. So for us at cables and kits, for instance, we had to, 
I don't want to say we had to learn how to work from home. That's not accurate. We had to learn how to work from home effectively, including how do we run regularly scheduled meetings that typically would be in person? How do we have interactions with customers that we might typically do in person? Yeah. Uh, those sorts of things. Once we worked through those things, like I'll give you a, just a great example <laughs> of how everyone was working together on this, not, not just in our company, but the world. Yeah. Microsoft Teams, when all this started happening, you could only have, I think it was four video panes mm. in, a, in a Teams meeting. I think it was four. Well, of course, immediately we're complaining. We can't see everybody and we have to click on this thing at the bottom. Well, within weeks, within a couple of weeks, Microsoft started rolling out yeah. new releases of Teams that allowed more uh, people on the screen at any one given time. So it was being forced into a new way of doing things that forced innovation that yeah. then actually allowed an alternate way of doing business mm -hmm. to be just as good. And in some cases I would argue better, better. Yeah. than the old way. Yeah. So that's, that's one example of, uh, of something that's changed that came out of the, the pressure or the, you know, the, the problem of COVID or, uh, yeah. or like in my case with health, having the issue or the challenge of health has actually caused me to learn how to cook some more. Mm. And, and that's, that's one positive outcome that I'm like, wow, I actually kind of enjoy this. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess let's rewind a moment and, you know, tell us who, who is Craig and what brought how did you end up in Atlanta and how did you start your company and how did we end up intersecting? Sure. Sure. Oh boy. Let me see. How do I <laughs> do the condensed version of this? Um, so I was uh, born in Brunswick, Georgia, which is in the South part of, uh, of the, of the state, uh, St. Simon, Sea Island, Jekyll Island, Brunswick, we're all in the same County. Yeah. Uh, I was raised by a single mom, grew up in a trailer park, uh, very poor, uh, power getting cut off and back on and, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, I was bullied in school and, you know, had ratty tatty clothes, which was part of the bullying, uh, probably had some sort of learning disability that I've never even tried to understand or diagnose, maybe dyslexia or, or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, or, or maybe my mind just works faster than the average bear. Um, <laughs> but, but either way, I, I struggled in school and, and that sort of thing. So I quit. I just one day came home and said, I'm not going back. And this was in ninth grade. So uh, I have a ninth grade education and never went back to school. So was born and raised, single mom, very poor, ninth grade education, went to work full time at 15 years old at McDonald's uh, for a short period, which yeah. was well, very cool. Of course, who hasn't worked at McDonald's? But <laughs> very cool to be an extra in the movie about McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> having, having worked there. Yeah. So I uh, went there for a while. And then one thing led to another until I landed in technology. I got hired at the very first internet provider in town as a tech support guy. Yeah. By the way, I did as well when I was, I don't know if you knew, I don't know if I worked McDonald's? for a company. No, I worked for a, an IP provider, a dial-up IP oh, okay. provider. It's called Safe Access. Oh, I, yeah. I seems vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember talking but about But I, that. well, you probably remember the story I told you about. I, my, I was, my growth spurt came much later than most people. And so my voice was very high. And so I had a voice distorter to make me sound like an old man. <laughs> I do remember that. That was so funny. Yeah, that was funny. you got the job done though. So, um, so anyway, I, I got into technology when I was around 17 or 18. 
years old in a, in a, in a dial-up internet service provider as a tech support guy, ended up going into a partnership um, with someone, uh, you know, some months after that. And we, we, we had another internet provider and then I split off and started my own internet provider. Uh, so it, I worked for the very first one in town. <laughs> And then me and one of the partners of that one uh, were, were the second one. And then yeah. I split off. Did you carry any customers with you or did you have to start over? You kind of start over. But yeah, yeah we, I mean, there might have been a handful uh, that came. But, uh, but honestly, back in that day, just like at the beginning of anything, uh, it, there, it, it, was, it was a new thing. And it was, uh, you know, tons of customers, tons of interest. And, and so it was, it was pretty easy to add customers. I remember just a funny story uh, for, for anyone that's listening that remembers uh, the show Green Acres, which was a black and white show back in the, I don't know, I don't know what year it was in, but it was black and white. So fifties yeah. or sixties or something like that. Um, there was a character named Mr. Haney and my name's Mr. Haney. Spelled the same way? Uh, no, I think it's H-A-N-E-Y oh, okay. and I'm H-A-Y-N-I-E. So, uh, but anyway, and so he kind of talked, had a funny kind of funny voice, but he was a guy that had everything, whatever you needed, he had it. And I, uh, when I had my internet provider, I did some radio commercials. I did a lot of work for radio stations. And so I would trade work for radio ads. And I went into the studio one night and I recorded my own radio ad. And I was telling some customers at the internet provider about it. I said, yeah, I recorded this, you know, radio ad. And I said, this is Mr. Haney of <laughs> internet. And I'm here to, you know, and whatever it was. And the customer said, that's pretty cool. But you remember that or you know, right, that Mr. Haney was a crook. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> said, well, everything that he sold broke. So, uh, you know, he had what you needed, but it never actually worked out. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So <laughs> I, I didn't do the actual commercial, but it was really funny to, you know, kind of so, do it. Uh, just to intercede here, you know, you've, you've been running some ads for your company now. Is that, is that kind of brought you back to that, that moment in history? <laughs> yeah. So because of the safety supplies uh, business, um, you know, one of the things that we did was we, we, we ran some radio ads here in Atlanta. We ran some in Dallas. I think we're on about nine stations right now. Yeah. Um, and we're, you know, we're looking at other stations in other markets. And yeah, when we first started doing the radio ads uh, here, it was, it was definitely uh brought back some fond memories of, of being on the radio. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to bring Mr. Haney back to Mr. the radio. Haney, yeah. <laughs> People wouldn't even know what it is. I have, have to say, if you want to know why this commercial is funny, go, go to this, <laughs> go to YouTube. So anyway, I, I went to work or, you know, I had the internet provider, uh, the dot-com crash happened um, around that time. And, and fortunately, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I, I ended up going to work for a technology company in Virginia I wasn't there very long uh, before the entire office got laid off, you know, yeah. as, the, as the technology crash really heated up. But one, one really cool thing about that was I had never left the state of Georgia except to go to Florida in my life. I was offered this job and moved to Virginia. Mm. So I'd never been, well, maybe I had been to South Carolina for something, yeah. but you know, but it never really been anywhere outside of that. So I moved to Virginia 20 days later, they had me on an airplane, which I had never been on before. Not a commercial. How old were you? Uh, 21, I think. Okay. Um, so I had been on a small plane with my brother once, but I'd never been on a commercial airline. So yeah. 20 days after I moved to Virginia, I was on a plane to Morocco to do a software <laughs> install. And then from Morocco to Croatia to do another software install. Yeah. And I was gone for a total of 20 days. Come back to the U.S., and then uh, some weeks later, they sent me and two other guys to Israel 
for six weeks um, to do software training on the new platform that they were developing. So, you know, born and raised in South Georgia, really never left my hometown very much. And then all of a sudden I'm in Virginia and yeah. then all of a sudden I'm in Morocco, Croatia and Israel. And that was a huge, just culture pouring in yeah. of understanding the world outside of this country, which, which I've, uh, I've traveled internationally several times since then. And, um, and it's, it's a very neat, uh, a very neat thing to have, have lived my twenties and thirties with the, with the knowledge and experience of having been international. But yeah. so anyway, uh, laid off from that, uh, from that company, uh, as the dot-com crash heated up, that was in 2001 and then moved to Atlanta and took a sales job selling computer components because it was the only job I could find. Yeah. Nine 11 happened. Mm. Um, which I remember, you know, as, as a lot of people, I remember exactly where I was. Yeah. And can I you believe it's almost 20 years ago? I know it's like, <laughs> and I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, I ended up falling backwards into buying and selling pre-owned Cisco networking equipment. I had had the dial up internet provider that had yeah. shut down and I skipped that story. Glad to tell it later, but, uh, you know, part of the dot-com crash business, but internet provider shut down. I had this networking equipment uh, remaining. And while I was working the sales job, I'm attempting to sell it. And where are you living at the time? I was living in Norcross. So I had left Virginia after I had lost my job there. And the only job I could find was selling computer components at a, at a distributor that was here in Atlanta. So I moved to Norcross. Uh, and the, by the way, so that back to what you said earlier, I moved to Norcross and, it, and uh, you know, not too long after moving here, I started going to First Baptist Atlanta. Um, and, and why did you go there? There are a lot of churches in Atlanta. There are a lot of churches in Atlanta. So let's see. Um, in 1998, which is when I was 20, okay. I still lived in Brunswick. I still had my internet provider. I had a motorcycle accident that nearly killed me. Mm. And it was during the recovery uh, from that motorcycle accident that I came to faith in the Lord and it with a, you know, as, uh, as, as, uh, as, as, um, as scripture says, I can't recall exactly where it's at. Uh, as scripture says with a childlike faith, uh, I came to, um, you know, to an understanding that I needed God in my life and, and, you know, came to him the best way I knew how. And, yeah. and, and I, and I say that because it was in 2009 that I, truly surrendered my mm. fullness to God. But, but in 1998, the um, after the accident, that was the starting point. So yeah. uh, I, uh, after the recovery from the accident and coming to the Lord, uh, when I moved to uh, Virginia and then ultimately to Atlanta, my grandmother, who had always been a, a big influence in my life, loved Dr. Charles Stanley, which was the pastor of First Baptist Atlanta. Yeah. And she had sent me uh, tapes uh, of his uh, messages and things uh, over time. And so when I moved to Atlanta, that was about the only church uh, pastor interaction that I had had, really. And so yeah. I was like, hey, he's right here, right down the road. So it was only natural that I would go and visit there. And then of course we got involved in a small group, uh, kind of a young marrieds class. And that's where me and my, uh, she, we weren't married at the time, but my uh, fiance at the time, wife now, uh, walked in and uh, we were like, who are these kids? And uh, we <laughs> saw you and uh, Kate from behind. 
Yeah. And we thought you were somebody's kids. And, and of course, <laughs> we, we got to know you and, and realized that you had just got married recently and moved to Atlanta. And, and of course, I think we went to lunch that day yeah. and, and hit it off immediately. And, and of course, have been great friends ever since. So uh, that, was, that was the first, first, uh, first Baptist Atlanta story. So um, moved here, uh, went to the work for the computer component distributor, um, tried to sell the networking equipment that was left over from my internet provider. And I'll skip the story, but in, in literally in, in the span of a few days, one thing led to another until I was literally in the business of buying and selling pre-owned Cisco networking equipment yeah. and instantly, you know, had a nearly million dollar annual revenue run rate, like from practically from day one. I mean, you know, within the first few months, it was just picking yeah. up really quickly. And how did that differ and, from the e-commerce store that you now have? So that was in 2001, toward the end of 2001. I think October uh, was yeah. when I started. And it was in 2003 that I became aware of an open source e-commerce shopping platform. And I was intrigued by the concept. You know, eBay was even still fairly a, you know, fairly a new company. It was only you know, a handful of years old. And there were some e-commerce, but it wasn't certainly as prolific as it is today or part of everyday life. So I was intrigued by this open source shopping cart platform and I downloaded it and installed it and started tinkering with it. And, and I thought, what could I do with e-commerce? And I, I literally looked around and I saw a box in the floor that had some uh, rack mount kits and some console cables for Cisco hardware in it. And I thought, eh, cables and kits. <laughs> and I went and registered this domain name and it was literally just so that I could toy around with this, this e-commerce platform. Well, I threw 12 products on the site and, you know, as entrepreneurs do, shiny, shiny, shiny. Okay, never mind that. Back to what I was doing before. Next thing I knew, orders started rolling in to the site. Yeah. Where are the orders coming from? I haven't even advertised the website, but Google had picked it up somehow. Yeah. And we ended up in number one spots on Google for things that were very hard to find. Mm. And um, so people started placing orders. And of course, you know, you follow the money. So I started working on the website with the bulk of my time and uh, adding products and adding marketing and yeah. various different things. And so over probably the course of a year, I completely replaced and more all of the revenue that we had had previously with the website yeah. and I pretty much stopped selling pre-owned Cisco it, hardware. Yeah. It was much more scalable, right? Well, and, it was scalable. And what I started learning about myself is, and it was many, many years before I realized this, that I love doing things that are high leverage. Mm -hmm. I love doing things where you can put in some amount of effort and use a fulcrum point and, and lift a heavy load with, with some very little effort. Yeah. So with e-commerce in the early days, I would spend an hour adding a product to the website, you know, finding a picture, writing a description, putting it on there. And then over the next several weeks and months, you'd start seeing the sales pick up on that yeah. item. And, and it was a sale that would come in with no effort other than the effort that you had already put in. Yeah. But and you were also, you also lucked out in the sense that you put something out there when like you ranked number one without having to do anything other yeah. than put it there. And that's and, completely changed. And that, <laughs> as was talked about in the, the, uh, the, the things that I wrote in your book, that ended up becoming a uh, kind of a blind spot uh, for yeah. me 
because for 13 years in a row, we grew at an average of a million dollars a year in revenue for 13 years to get to $13 million in revenue. And then it, it, everything we did worked, you know, everything oh, you do this, boom, it just worked. You do this, yeah. boom, it worked. And I think a, a, a portion of that was what you just described being early into e-commerce. You could have sold <laughs> dirt, you know, and, and, and somebody would have bought it, you know, Oh, look, you could buy dirt on the internet and, and somebody <laughs> would have bought it. So we just happened to be in the right place at the right time with the right product. And we were winning in spite of ourselves. Yeah. And I remember Jim Collins talked about that when they looked back at companies that were, you know, that, that had grown tremendously, they, they would ask the question, uh, you know, did this company, were they successful because of what they did and how they did it? Or were they successful in spite of themselves? Did Apple grow yeah. because they had some magic formula or did they grow because anybody that would have launched the Apple mm. in, in the eighties was going to win? Was it yeah. just standing What's in front the of the difference? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was definitely a component of, of being in the right place at the right time, being an entrepreneur and being able to kind of having that natural talent and ability, which God blessed me with to just feel the wind blowing and get in front of it. You know, yeah. and, and that's something that uh, that I'm very grateful for. But of course, the opposite of that, or not the opposite, the the, the offset of that is, is I may be able to feel the wind and get in front of it, but but I'm not necessarily good at uh, at what happens after that. You know, um, <laughs> to sustain it over time. You mean to sustain yeah. it over a long period of time? So uh, you know, so you you've got this idea this idea run, run, what is it called? Run something, uh, yeah, something. Uh, plan, build, run. Plan, build, run. Uh, yeah. So you, you know, the plan layer is what exactly is it that you want to do? Uh, where should this particular idea go? What is the vision? What are the steps to get there? Let's map the thing out. And then the build is the project management component of let's, let's actually yeah. build this and see it launched. The run layer, which is the thing that I'm not good at doing, I'm good at seeing the vision of how the run layer should work, yeah. but I'm definitely not good at doing or managing the run layer is the trains running on time. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 boom. Something happening every time the same way yeah. without fail. But how do you, how do you reconcile that? Cause um, you talk, uh, you know, when it comes to your morning routine, it's you're running that pretty well. So how do you reconcile that with, with the disconnect that it doesn't necessarily translate in other areas of life? Well, even so, I, so my morning routine, just, just to that, you know, I, uh, I may get up at different times depending upon, you know, where I need to be and when I need to be there. But, um, you know, we've joked that <laughs> when I dry off after a shower, it's literally the same exact way every time, you know, one arm, the other arm that yeah. I, I, I tend to reduce repetitive things down to a process that mm -hmm. is, is easy to, to do on autopilot. Yeah. Um, but that, if you could outsource that, would you? <laughs> well, that, that sounds like the 1930s, you know, rich people, hire people to bathe them. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, um, I, yeah, there's certainly, I like to eliminate non-value added activities. Um, yeah. uh, I, um, you know, I, I bought a Tesla, yeah. uh, a, you know, maybe a year ago. And I, part of the reason that I bought it, well, part of the reason that I, I'll say I enjoy it <laughs> is when I come to realize that 
I back it into my garage and I plug it in and I never ever have to go to a gas station mm. ever again. I didn't even really, that didn't really sink in at the time that I bought it. But now that I have realized that, I'm like, wow. You know, so if I'm in my wife's car and we have to stop at the gas station, you yeah. know, I just sit there and think, this is unsafe. I'm yeah. handling a flammable liquid. Somebody could rob me. Uh, you know, there's all these things that could happen that with an electric car, and if I'm not a, I'm not an environmentalist by any means. I literally bought the car for convenience, for cool factor, and because it's really fast. That's yeah. that's why I bought. It. But I realized that with an electric car, like I literally eliminate having to stop at a gas station, having to handle flammable liquids, having to be at risk of potentially being robbed or somebody running me over because I'm standing outside of a car. Yeah. And I'm like, you never think about these things. So I like to eliminate non-value added activities, yeah. um, you know, where possible. Not, not, I'm not fanatical about it. It's just that if, if I see a better way, then I'm like, hey, that's, that's yeah. better. I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. So back to your question. Um, in my personal life where I find the opportunity to make those changes, I, I definitely will make them or I'll make something mm -hmm. efficient or, or more um, repetitive or mindless. But in business, I will see it. I'll see how something could be put on autopilot. Yeah. Um, and I usually, I'm the, I'm the plan kind of visionary and I'm the build. Yeah. Maybe how can I build something and wire it? Um, but I am not the... I'm going to run it every day person. So I'll go into yeah. the shipping department and I'll sometimes go and I'll, I'll, I'll QA orders, you know, check them for yeah. the quality and uh, you know, all that, or I'll pack orders or I'll, I'll do various different jobs from time to time just to help out. And also just to get some exposure to how things work now yeah. in the yeah. business, because maybe it's been a while since I've been exposed to it. And when I do that, I, if I'm QAing orders, sometimes I even make mistakes because I'm not a detail-oriented person. But what happens is, is it gives me the opportunity to look at how it works. Yeah. And I will immediately say, wait, this is not efficient. This could be faster. We need a different yeah. color bin for, di for these different order types. I need to buy an automated tape machine. You know, I'm really good at seeing how to automate or make something more efficient, yeah. but I'm not really good at the Run it, so run does it. that does that create a tension if if you're the on the build side when you're talking about people that are on the run side, is there a tension between you and how things ought to be and how they should operate versus their kind of hard realities and is, does that create a tension between you and the runners? I will say that the where it works really well and where it has the most tension where it works really well is when the process already is fairly well oiled, like in our warehouse, you know, yeah. the receiving process the shipping process, those things work fairly well. And in part, because four years ago or five, about four years ago, I had a wild hair and I went back there and literally tore the entire operation completely apart and rebuilt it from the ground up. We were working 18 hour days for three months. And um, I, I brought up a new leader that now is the leader that runs it today. He and I think very similarly. So the way that that operation works was my brainchild and the leader that's running it thinks like me. So what happens is it just works. So if I go into that environment and I want to make an improvement, number one, the leader is already running it pretty well. Number two, the leader wants to improve it just as much as I want to improve it. 
So when I have ideas for how to improve it, he is like, oh, that's a great one. What about this? What about that? And we put our heads together and we end up creating a better outcome. Mm. The other side of it where it doesn't work really well is where there is a process that either doesn't exist and there's no one to build it uh, or where maybe worse than that, where there is someone that is running something it doesn't work very well, or it's not the vision that I have. Yeah. It needs to change drastically. And you have to, you have to figure out, do I step in there? And with that person, we tear it apart and rebuild it. Do I work through that person and try to get them to completely look at something differently than they, than they do, which is a very hard thing to get someone to do. Um, it's a difficult thing and it causes tension for sure. But you have to look at the purpose and the mission and the vision and say, is the outcome more important than the friction? And if the outcome is more important than the friction, you kind of just got to bear down and do what you got to do. And may hurt feelings or it, you try, you want to try to avoid that. Um, But at, at the end of the day, you can't let the tail wag the dog. And sometimes the tail is a bad process mm-hmm. or a leader that maybe doesn't have the experience that they need to have to achieve the particular outcome. Yeah. And, and so you, you, have to, you have to have the will to overcome the obstacle that stands in your way. Yeah. So I guess now that we're talking about work, let's kind of pull back a little bit. What does it mean to you to work smarter and to live better? Hmm. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is as far as work smarter is you can't, you've, you've maybe heard the term, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And the idea there is, is that if you're too close to something and, and all you're doing is just busy, busy, busy activity, activity, sometimes you can't see because you're in the, in the middle of it, in the thick of it. So the first thing I would say is you have to take the opportunity to to take a break, take a mental break, maybe a physical break, maybe a proximity break, (laughs) go on vacation, get away from the business and look back at it and say, hmm, what are we doing that doesn't add value that is taking up a lot of time or effort or energy that if we didn't do that thing, we could put more energy into something Mm -hmm. that actually adds value or works or has the opportunity to work better than it works today. Um, so looking at and being willing to look at, uh, you know, we need, we need to make a change here, but you can't, you can't look at those things when you're in the middle of it. So being yeah. disciplined and willing to get outside of the business, even if it's just for a few days and clear your mind and then look back in, uh, and, and think about how, how do we make some changes here? Yeah. Well, and how do you, I guess, how do you balance that with, with new stuff? Cause I mean, new always seems like it can make it better, but sometimes it can be a distracting distraction or the transition to the new thing can be more of a cost than just sticking with something that's not perfect. Yeah. So we have a saying, um, that, uh, a guy named Gary that, that we work with, um, mentioned to us, which is, we need to do things the same way every time until we find a better way mm-hmm. and then we do it the better way. And, and the, the implication there is that you shouldn't try 
I should not go into the shipping department every single day and do things differently just to see what happens. Because if you do that, then chaos becomes the norm rather than the yeah. run layer, as we call it, being yeah. the norm. So what we should do is we should have a set of processes that do not, I've got a saying, processes that don't fail. That is my, that is my vision and my mm -hmm. desire is that we build processes that do not fail. It actually become one of our core values yeah. is build processes that don't fail. So if we have processes that are built in a way not to fail and to work the same way every time, and then we find ways to try things to see if there's a, uh, you know, maybe a better way to do it. Yeah. And you, you learn that in fact it is better Then okay, fine. Now weave that into the way that you do things going forward. Yeah. You have to separate that dynamic of do things the same way every time until there's a better way, constantly improving uh, and, and, and making that the way that we now do them. You separate that from new product introduction, R and D, you know, going out and finding the blue ocean strategy type stuff. Yeah. Which sometimes it's hard to separate in the yeah. business because if you're working on R and D stuff, you might need someone to help you with something that mm. is more of a run layer mm. type person. We're actually going through that right now. Yeah. The, the safety supplies business that we started out of thin air eight weeks ago or so, um, it was kind of, um, in, in maybe April or yeah. you know, March, March, April, somewhere in there. Um, when we started that out of, out of thin air, it was me jumping in, being an entrepreneur and yeah. everybody was hair on fire. Oh my gosh, you know, I, yeah. I've got to be working on this, but you've got me working. Well, on I, I kind of feel like if you hadn't had your company, like it, you would like, it, it, there's that tension of the, your existing company with this new company, but in a way it kind of, it holds you back, but it also gives you resources to launch something new. So did you feel that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, let me finish one thought and I'm going to address that is, you know, when we we're going through right now, the tension of how do you, how do you build an R and D process and team yeah. and have <laughs> that work with the, the run layer team mm -hmm. because you can't just grab anybody and everybody and say, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go launch these new products because then who's running the business. Yeah. But you can't just run the business and not develop new things because then who's growing the business. Yeah. And, and for, for you know, uh, to tell the truth, you know, six years or so, we were somewhat stagnant in our, in our growth because we, we weren't, we were only running the business and we weren't really doing any, any mm. R and D to speak of. So now, the safety supply stuff kind of was a swift kick to the butt Yeah, that has gotten me, the entrepreneur back into the R and D seat, which I have not really done truly in years, yeah. but it's invigorating and I love it. Yeah. So now that I'm doing that, we're, we're, we have this tension of how do we have R and D and the run layer aspect of the business going on at the same time? And how do we make those things kind of work really well together? So to your point about having the business, and doing the R&D and it, it, you kind of need both. The analogy that I thought of is, is you know, uh, kind of driving or, or maybe a horse with a wagon and you're trying to pick up things, rocks yeah. or whatever, you need a wagon to put them in, mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't have the wagon, then you, you can pick them up, but at some point your arms get full and, and you're like, well, 
I got to hand these off to somebody. Yeah. Um, and I could take the analogy further. Well, what happens when the wagon gets full and who's selling yeah. out the wagon? And you, but, but that's the whole idea is that you're going to have an operation yeah. that has inputs and outputs. And then you're going to have idea generation, entrepreneurism, R and D yeah. that are bringing in the new things that, uh, that, that you then yeah. kind of throw into the wagon. So, so how do you, how do you, um, with all this R and D for this new product line, that's so different than what you're doing. How do you make sure that R and D and product development happens in the old business or the core business? In the core business, right? So that essentially that doesn't get left behind as a result of the the, the pivot. Right. No, absolutely. Well, so speaking directly to that, um, <laughs> you know, I added uh, I slash we. I mean, it's not all me. I've got a team, but um, you know, I'm out front charging ahead. Hey, we're going to add this. We're going to add that. So, you know, these, these, uh, you know, these things that, uh, that, that I'm like, we're going to do this. And then of course, like yeah. I say, that the team had to support me to do it. So we added, um, 50, 60, 70, uh, safety products, yeah. uh, to the, to the, to the catalog. Um, so in my defense, uh, we added a webcam, uh, you know, to the core <laughs> business. Um, but yeah, so the question is how do we make sure that we continue perpetuating the concepts of the core business while we are? Yeah, and, and I guess to even kind of take that a little further, the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, the world has changed and it's changing dramatically and it can change even more dramatically than it has. But what if, what if, what if these giant office complexes that we're so familiar with, they start the changes that those even exist or that, or that how they're done is different. Um, that obviously affects some of the type of things you sell. So what, what would you kind of add that as another complex layer on top of what I asked? Sure. Sure. Well, so I think the answer really addresses both. Yeah. Um, and the answer is we have this concept um, of a three pillar approach to how you build and run a company. Mm -hmm. And the three pillars are product management, marketing, and channels. Yeah. In product management, you have three layers. You have product management, which, yeah. is, which is the understanding of the market and the decision of what to sell and how to sell it which is the plan layer. So they kind of okay. plan, build, run. The, the, the next level down in product is uh, product marketing. Okay. And product marketing, which is really kind of the direct answer to the, question that you, the questions that you asked, product marketing is ownership of a select group of products by an individual. Yeah. And they're responsible for growing the revenue and the profit and managing the inventory of that group of products. Yeah. And that's something that we, other than doing it somewhat intuitively and entrepreneurially in the early years, we really haven't done that. And that's what mm -hmm. over the last year we've been trying to build is yeah. product management. So then one level down below product management is product development. Yeah. So it, those three things uh, are, are together what allows us to say, what does the market that we're serving need? Now that we have these products, how do we manage them well from a competitive perspective, pricing, content, you know, uh, marketing, sales channel uh, interaction, and then what are the new products that we need to develop to serve this 
group yeah. of customers that we choose to, that we we have yeah. chosen to serve. From a but it does see, well, go ahead. Well, uh, just real quick, from I'll do these fast. From a marketing perspective, that is, who are we as a company? How do we represent ourselves to the world? And then the execu execution of that, that also has a plan, build, and run. And then channels, uh, for, for us today, we have an e-commerce channel, we have a direct sales channel, and we have a marketplaces channel. Each one of those has a plan, a build, and a run. Yeah. You know, uh, And so when you have product, who do we serve and what are we selling them? marketing, who are we and how do we represent ourselves to the world and channels, what are the channels to market that we have and how are yeah. we going to actually execute to deliver those things? That is what we call a business unit, yeah. which would be cables and kits. Mm -hmm. And you can potentially have multiple business units, which is part of our vision yeah. within the overall umbrella of the company that mm -hmm. also has accounting and operations yeah. and those sorts of things that serve all the business units. Yeah. So I guess what I'm hearing from you though, is if you don't have that, if you aren't mastering that tri that triangle, this approach and good at it, this transformational crisis is going to break you. Cause if you can't adapt quick enough, I mean, when I think about like a company that's like a thousand people or 10,000 people, man, it's like moving, you know, it's like turning the Titanic, right? It's just right. going to be hard. Um, but you've got a smaller company, so you have a lot more flexibility, but you know, so, so you can lean into that more than a larger company, but then you also don't necessarily have the resources of a larger company to kind of sustain um, some of the wave, the bigger waves that hit right. the ship, you know? So you know, how I would say that is there's a, there's a, on, on one side, you've got an entrepreneurial company yeah. slash environment where you've got, as Jim Collins would say, a genius with a thousand helpers. Yeah. Then on the other side, you have a mature company that has leadership, that has you know, roles and, and responsibilities, and everybody knows what they're doing, and there's a mechanism, a machine, a flywheel, yeah. that, that, that every tooth on the flywheel is being pushed with intentionality. There's visibility and accountability to every element. Yeah. When you have that type of a machine and mechanism, then the responses to market conditions are done by by a matter of, of process. Yeah. But, when, but what, when you, and when you have an entrepreneurial company, then the entrepreneur is responding to those opportunities intuitively. Yeah. Where we lived for a number of years was right in the middle of those where we were neither. Yeah. The entrepreneur, me, was not at the front edges of the business intuitively responding to opportunity, which I yeah. just did yeah. as it relates to this safety supply business. And then you have on the other end, the business that has the the people in the right seats that are driving yeah. what they're responsible and accountable for. But we lived in the middle for a while where we didn't have the structure and we didn't have the accountability, but I wasn't at the helm. Yeah. And so we're like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and it didn't really go anywhere. A business like that could very easily die. And to be mm -hmm. honest, at the beginning of the year and with the coronavirus stuff, we, we, the, the core business, dove in its yeah. revenue. Yeah. Which is what kicked me in the butt to say, I've got to be the entrepreneur. I got to do something here. Yeah. And so I took the safety supplies as an opportunity uh, in part because it was an opportunity and in part because customers were legitimately asking, yeah, can you do something about this? We need these products. We need hand sanitizer. We need yeah. face masks. Can you do something? And at my nature, I'm a problem solver. So of course my answer was, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. figure something out. <laughs> And then I like high leverage. So when we figure it out, well, of course then you, you want to do more of it. Yeah. 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 
And so the next thing you know, Bob's your uncle, we've got, you know, last month, 40% of our business was safety supplies. Yeah. 40. Yeah. You know, so uh, you, you jump on these opportunities and you make something of them, but just to put a bow around what, what I'm saying, you've got an entrepreneurial business where if you have a downturn, the entrepreneur is going to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Then you have on the other end, you've got a, a flywheel methodology where you've got people that are responsible for a variety of different things, including yeah. the product management, which means this person is compensated for and responsible for understanding a group of customers and their needs and responding accordingly. Yeah. And if you have those things in place, then I think you can respond to a crisis. But yeah. you need to be on one end or the other. You can't yeah. live in the middle is what I learned. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that comes to mind is that as we can get complacent in the business with with success or or even arrogant or prideful or or whatnot. And so the crisis has a way, you know, I think about Apostle Paul talks about his, the pain in his side. He, 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 he sort of loves it and hates it, but it's kind of a good thing for him in the long run because it keeps him, it kept him. Um, focusing on what mattered. And I think as uh, entrepreneurs, we're always facing these crises. This just happens to be a bigger one that we're all facing at the same time. Well, let me, you know, I'm glad you said that about Paul. He, he, he said, you know, three times I prayed for you to take this from me, but you said my, my grace is sufficient. And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. When, when we started losing revenue at the first part of the year, prayer was certainly part of of yeah. our solution is Lord, what would you have us do here? And of course we said, please bring us revenue. As we found ourselves several weeks into safety supplies, working all kinds of crazy hours, there was three days in the last six weeks that I never went to bed. Yeah. I literally worked, you know, around the clock. I, six o'clock in the morning comes around. I'm still working. I tried to lay down couldn't go to sleep, mind racing, get back up and keep going. There's others in my team that, you know, they're working till midnight, 1 a.m. I mean, crazy yeah. hours. I mean, we, we were all really just putting in massive amounts of time. And it was about three weeks in that somebody said, I forget exactly what they said, but their <laughs> feeling or their expression was, what's going on here? You know, this is a lot. This is, this is hard. This like is overwhelming. Heavy. Overwhelming. And, yeah. and my response was, we prayed for revenue <laughs> and we have it, you know. It just so looks different than we it expected. Looks different. And, and so the, the, the back to your point about what Paul said, you know, I have this thorn in my side, which, you know, some people, it does, it's not clear whether he meant it was literally like, did he have a hip problem, yeah. a back problem, or was it emotional? Yeah. Was it temptation? We don't know what it was, but it was something that nagged at him. Yeah. And, um, and so, he said, I, I asked for the Lord to remove this from me, but ultimately my grace is sufficient, which is, which is a way to say, <laughs> you need me and I want you to know that you need me. Yeah. And, and so that's, Daily. One the, <laughs> that's one of the things that happened to us in this is uh, not that we, not that we didn't know that we needed and we did, but it was really good to be able to exercise that to say, yeah. Lord, this is your business. We are stewards what exactly is it that you want to happen here? If you want this to just go away, fine. If you yeah. want us to be successful, fine. But your will be done. Yeah. You know, what can we, you know, what do you want us to do? And what ended up happening was, is, you know, heaped on <laughs> our head was safety supplies business, um, which of course we grabbed and yeah. run with. So 
on that note, you know, you're leading a team, you have a family, you know, my, my experience with you is you, you kind of reached out a hand my way when I was facing a personal crisis and, and got together with me weekly for several years. Um, and, you know, Christ calls us to disciple others. So what does mentorship mean to you? What does discipleship mean to you? How do you bring your team along? How do you lead others? Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Well, I'll say that, you know, everybody that, that aspires to do something noble, um, yeah, I, maybe I'm reaching when I say everybody. I would suspect that most people that aspire to do something that would be considered noble or good or helpful can be overly critical of themselves about Am I doing this right? Am I doing it enough? Am I, you know, am I structuring it properly? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So for, for a number of years, I've wanted to help other people and, and I've, I've had people that have mentored me or, or that have uh, been uh, counselors or, uh, you know, in the faith or yeah. in business. And, and so I've, I've, I've kind of learned from that. And I'm like, okay, I want to do this too. I want to be helpful. I'm, I, you know, just one thing too is, as you get to a certain age where it finally clicks, I'm a lot older than, uh, than some people. And I actually do have something, to <laughs> you know, you, you kind of doubt yourself yeah. for a while. You're like, oh, I don't part of that is looking back at our 22 year old self and going, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but so you get to a point where you say, okay, first of all, I actually do have something to offer and not in a prideful way, but just people are asking me for my opinions. I'm giving yeah. them and it appears to be helpful. Hmm. There's something here. Let me keep doing this. Yeah. But then, so, but then you can start thinking, well, okay, I need to find five people and I need to set up a weekly this or a daily that, and you can get, you know, you can kind of get flood your carburetor, uh, yeah. thinking about all the ways that you could or should be doing it. Here's the point. You just, walk in the light that you have and, and trust God to bring you who he needs to bring you and be available as you can be available. And it's going to look different in different seasons. Yeah. You may have someone that you meet with at some interval. You may have a small group that you attend that you may then lead. You may have something that you start. You, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about, uh, talks about seasons. You know, there's a season yeah. for everything, a time to live and a time to die and a time to, you know, all of that. So there's seasons. So if we, if we first seek the kingdom mm -hmm. in our hearts and we seek to, uh, you know, to bring glory and honor to the father in our, in our thinking and in our actions, and we, we choose to be servants, then he will bring us opportunities where we yeah. can be an influence in someone's life in the way that, that would be helpful to them. That, that's a, that's a broad response to what you're saying. Uh, yeah. You may have a more specific question, but uh, that that's kind of my attitude about it yeah. is, is instead of trying to be super prescriptive with how I go about interacting with others, I just look for the opportunity as it shows up. Yeah. And, and I guess, is that different in terms of maybe with, with someone that you're friends with versus your employees who are looking to you in this time of uncertainty going, there's a storm raging around us and, and they're dealing with that anxiety. Is it different or is it, is it the same? No, I, I would say it's, it's probably very similar. Um, if, if I had a friend that called me or that, that I saw uh, and, and, and they, you know, conversation came up or, or I feel prompted that maybe there's something I need to ask uh, I'll do that. If I'm at work 
and, and a similar situation happens, I respond very, uh, very similarly. There was someone that walked in um, to a room I was in recently, a few weeks ago, and he had some concerns and, you know, I stopped what I was doing and listened and, um, and, and started engaging. And it was, it was probably nearly an hour of conversation. Yeah. Um, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, uh, you know, whatever I was working on got pushed back, but that's okay because yeah. relationship matters. We're here for one another. Uh, whatever it was that I was working on, I'll, I don't remember and I yeah. won't remember, but I do remember the conversation and that person reached out to me afterward and thanked me. They yeah. also will remember the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that whether it be a convenience store clerk or a server at a restaurant or your brother or your friend or your neighbor or your coworker, your boss, we should, we should, we all have, we all have something to share. Yeah. And we all have something that, that can benefit those around us. And we need to just have our little antennas up yeah. and be slow minded enough to take the opportunity to, to interact with people in those types of ways. Yeah. So now that you talk about sharing, you know, uh, we're uh, creatures of stories. We love them. Narratives shape how we see the world. And, uh, you know, we love to, me and you love watching movies. So what's a narrative, a story, a parable, a movie, a show that has shaped you and, and how can they help us through this storm that we're going through? Um, you know, I know you've been watching some Star Trek, so any, anything there or, or elsewhere? Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. A narrative that would come from a some story. Yeah, a yeah. story. Um, that has impacted you or shaped who you are. Nothing is springing to mind. I'm sure there's something in there somewhere. You, you talked about Star Trek, so yeah. I'll... Um, <laughs> I'll use that one just since it is recent. So, you know, just a little backstory, you know, I, I grew up watching uh, Next Generation and uh, when when Picard came out, when I heard about it coming out, I got very excited and I watched Picard and then I learned of Discovery and I watched Discovery and I got all caught up and I was like, you know what? I've never seen every episode of Next Generation. Okay. Uh, I've seen most of them, I'm sure, a lot of them, yeah. but I probably have never seen every one of them. So I wanted to go back and watch them all, but then I thought, well, wait a minute, you know what? I'm working from home now, you know, I'm working at night. I got, to, I usually turn the TV on and work and watch and a little bit. I said, I've got, I've got some, maybe some capacity here. Let me go back and watch the original Star Trek series and then build up from there. And I'll, I'll yeah. watch that one and then the movies and then yeah. the Next Generation and, you know, all, all of it. And, and so I have been watching the original series and, um, <laughs> you know, there, there are some lessons to learn in watching some old shows like that, especially yeah. an old show that attempts to paint a picture of the future. Yeah. They referred to World War III as happening in the 90s. Yeah. Um, Discovery referred to it happening, happening I think, in 2050, is, okay. if I remember correctly. And in both cases they projected it 30 years out from the film date or the, from okay. that era. Yeah. Um, so it was just far enough out to where you could kind of imagine it, ha imagine it happening. But anyway, that's just a little, a little um, side story. But the, the point is about me watching Star Trek is um, it, it's neat to see how they were unencumbered by earth. They were mm -hmm. unencumbered by America, they were unencumbered by the laws of the land and the customs and all of that sort of stuff. In fact, if anything, 
their customs were a blend of whoever was on the ship, which is not as, um, you know, is, is not as uh, extreme in, in the original Star Trek series as maybe as it would be in Discovery or, or some yeah. where they had more, more races or uh, not races, but um, alien like, species. Species, yes, yeah, yeah. I was looking for. More species on the, on the ship. But they were explorers yeah. and they would find themselves in these situations and, um, you know, and how did they, what was their interest and their curiosity and they wanted to help people or they wanted to, uh, you know, learn things or, or whatever the case may be. So that, that was something that's interesting just in thinking about, like when I watched that show, thinking about how wherever we find ourselves, wherever they mm -hmm. found themselves, not necessarily being tied down to what we're used to thinking, feeling, or acting, yeah. but, but, but being curious and having a desire to help others that are around you um, was, you know, maybe not what you were looking for, but that's yeah. the first thing that comes to mind, just watching Star Trek anyway. Yeah. Well, so um, how can stories help us through this crisis? And how? Yeah, I, mean, I love analogies and, and putting things in word pictures and, and that sort of thing. What I've learned about myself uh, is just like what happened when I'm put on the spot, I can't necessarily always come up with one, but in the middle of talking, usually something will come to mind and I can make a movie. Pull it in. Yeah, yeah. Ex exactly. Um, uh, so I, I definitely think that the stories can help us because when we can look at something through the lens of, of a, of a TV show or a movie and we can see how that particular character struggled with something yeah. that certainly wasn't exactly like, uh, what we're going through at any particular time, but it's yeah. analogous enough that we can, we can see the meaning in it. Yeah. It's almost like a good friend just saying, well, have you thought about it like this? What mm -hmm. if you lived in another place and yeah. da, 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 da. you can see that in these movies. Yeah. Um, which, which by the way, not to take a sharp left turn here or right turn or whichever way you pull <laughs> the wheel, but that's why I think that it's really important that we think about the types of movies and shows that we choose to watch. What is the agenda of the show or the movie? Because it can pull our thinking into a positive direction or it can pull our thinking into a negative yeah. direction or a self-centered direction or a devious or a, you know, yeah. a sinful direction, or it can pull us into, uh, into one that's positive because when we do see these examples in movies or in shows, it, it can, um, it, it it, it, it influences the way that we think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Interesting. Yeah. So let's kind of, I guess let's wrap up here. Um, you know, life is hard, work is challenging, but it's also prosperous and joyful. And so there's this tension. Um, you know, as, as we go through this journey, we call life, you know, what are your parting words of wisdom for us? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I, I kind of touched on this earlier. I think that it's really important maybe, maybe the, I'll just say this is maybe the one big thing is it's really important to take time at some interval to reflect. And I would even propose journal, take a, take a journal, a piece of paper, a notebook, and just write out your thoughts or write out your concerns, your problems, your challenges. I, I tend to do that addressing it to God, you know, you know, good morning, father, thank you for this day. Mm -hmm here's some stuff that's going on. How would you have me handle this? Or this is bothering me or whatever the case may be. When you take the time to get out of the grind and out of the can't see the forest for the trees, you can start to identify goals, challenges, 
relational issues that you need to deal with, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that you need to work on in your own health or your own life. And, but if you don't take the time to reflect, yeah. then how can, you, how can you ever make a decision so that the second thing is making decisions. I want to make this change. Yeah. I have this goal. I want to get to this place. And if you don't take the time to look at where you've been and look at where you're at and then say, well, what is it that I want? Write yeah. that down. And then you can work toward that. And the yeah. other thing that I'll say is it's, it's, especially for those that have big vision, it's very easy to, to have something that is a desire to be so overwhelmingly large that you don't even know how to get started. And so you yeah. therefore do nothing. Mm. The, the advice that I have there is, break things down into not pieces. Don't, don't try to project manage something to death. Just say, what is the next thing that I can do? Yeah. Well, I, I can make a list of the things that are required, or I can call this person and ask them for advice, or I can do a Google search to get a little more information about this. And as long as you first have set some sort of goals or yeah. uh, aspirations, and then secondly, just pick something that is next and always be working on the next part of how to move yeah. something forward. Then you can, you can, you can build and have an increasingly better life. Yeah. Whatever yeah. better means to you. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you wanted to share that we didn't get to today? Well, I, I don't think we have enough videotape. <laughs> No, I, I think, um, you know, I would just say that uh, for anybody that knows me, or even if you don't know me, uh, you know, if there's ever anything that I can do to be of any help to anybody, I am very willing and very, uh, uh, very desirous to, to be a, a positive influence um, yeah. and help to others. Our, our stated purpose at Cables and Kits is to model for and inspire others and in how they build and run their companies. Yeah. And we don't always get it right but we do aim to say, okay, we're, we're supposed to be modeling here. Yeah. So how do we make better decisions? How do we build better structure? How do we do mm-hmm. things in a better way? And, and that being said, since it is a desire of mine and, and for us as a company to model for and inspire others, I would love to have the opportunity to, to be that model and to be that inspiration. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's just a, an encouraging word or a piece of advice. So, Feel free to, you know, if I can be of help to, to anyone, I'm, I'm glad to do that. Yeah. And um, so how, how can people connect with you? How can they learn about what you're doing, the business, give us the, the links and Probably stuff. the absolute best way right now, and it could change at any time, is to email me at CEO at cablesandkits.com. Yeah. And the reason, the reason that, that I've got other email addresses, but the reason that one is important to use is because it's one that goes into a certain box and I pay hyper attention to, uh, you know, this is outside people emailing me, asking me questions. Uh, yeah. so I, I tend to look at that through a different lens than I do my yeah. big fat clogged up inbox of who knows what's in there. Yeah. Now what about like social media? Is there any, if someone wants to reach out and that, is there a channel you prefer there? I'm, I'm pretty bad at social media. Um, yeah. I have LinkedIn. I get dozens of messages a day, most of which I don't even look at. <laughs> Um, I, I would not recommend social media yeah. as a way to engage with me. If you, if you want to get in touch with me, I, I definitely recommend yeah. now, email. Okay. And now if someone wants to buy some, uh, masks, what are, where they go? Cablesandkits.com. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, we, we definitely, um, not only have we responded, uh, for the, for the time being, but we, we have a plan to, uh, solidify that as a long-term, either a 
category of our business, or if it becomes substantial enough, we'll peel it off into a separate business unit with a new company name. Yeah. But uh, we're really good at sourcing and logistics. And so there's really no reason for us not to stay in that now that we've spent the time and, and skewed the products up and have the sources. So yeah, if, if we can be of any help on those things, or if you have new product ideas, um, yeah. you know, we'd love to hear about them. We'll be glad to help you in any way we can. Cool. So I did there, what that you did remind me now, there's one thing that the, the part, one of the things that triggered me to even want to interview you and I completely forgot to ask you about it. So the daily CEO updates. Oh yeah. So I love that, that you started doing that. And I imagine that's evolved over time. So tell us about that, what it is, how it works, how you're involved with it, and and let's close with that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I'm glad you asked that. I, I had not um, I had not thought about that, but that's a that's a great thing to talk about. Um, so I don't know how to put this into words. Um, <laughs> Maybe dance for us. <laughs> yeah. So for a number of years, um, I had found myself behind the scenes in my own company. Yeah. And the thought of being out front in, in videos or interviews or anything like that was, it was uh, intimidating, not because I'm afraid to be outgoing because I'm an outgoing person, but because I was so far removed from it that it, that it seemed foreign to just yeah. all of a sudden be out front, even though Typically, when you think of a CEO, you think about them being out front, but it was, it was a foreign thing for me. So what happened was, what happened was, um, <laughs> when the COVID stuff started, um, we were getting updates from several sources that were just showing up in our inbox. And it was like, wow, these updates are really good. Uh, and, and one of those updates was from a law firm that we work uh, very closely with. And they were very concise and to the point and, you know, kind of bullet pointed. And, and, and I just had the idea one day, I bet our customers would really like to see this because I really like to see this. And so I yeah. said, well, you know, what if I emailed them out every day to our customers? So I talked to our marketing uh, guy and I said, Hey, listen, you know, what if we put together a daily email from the CEO and I'll put these bullet points in there. And, and so we, we put that together and that very first one that we sent well, the first one that we sent was one thing, but then the second one and the third one where you're like, I'm emailing my customers every day. Yeah. Somebody's going to murder me in my sleep. <laughs> and, but, but we, we did it. And every day we, we put the updates in the email. And then at the top of the email, I would say, you know, Hey, I, you know, I, how can I be praying for you? Um, hey, here's what we're doing as a company. Hey, cu customers are asking for this. We've added this product. Uh, you know, and, and so every single day it's been, I don't know how many days or weeks. I mean, it's been at least eight weeks, I think that I've been yeah. doing it every day. So I write this email every night. Uh, I start about 10 o'clock and I usually work every night since all this stuff started. My work schedule has changed dramatically and I work from 10 PM until two, three, four, 5 AM. Yeah. Uh, and, and so at 10 o'clock, I usually start writing the email and it gets sent out the next morning. And um, you know, now that we're doing it, uh, it, it, it felt there for a little while and sometimes still can. It, it kind of feels almost it's like an advertisement because there is a big chunk of it that's like, hey, here's all the safety supplies that we have yeah. because we added those because of COVID. And that was a part yeah. of what we were emailing about is, hey, you've asked for this. Here it is. We've asked for this. Here it is. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm still figuring out exactly what I want to do in the continuation of this email, but here's what I know. There have been times that I thought about quitting <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I think this, you know, this, this could be enough um, or, you know, or I'm tired or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then I'll get, there's not a day that goes by, not a single day that goes by that I do not get at least one, if not two, three, four, five emails from people saying, thank you so much for sending this out. This is the highlight of my day. I look mm. forward to this email every day. And I, and I look at it and I'm like, why? But, <laughs> but then I realize because people will elaborate. They don't just say a single word or two. They'll elaborate. People say, you never see CEOs being this open. Mm. You never see them being this, just, just saying what's on their mind. Sometimes saying what's on your mind can get you in trouble, by the way, but that's another thing. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, uh, so, so what's happened is, is, you know, I, I've started becoming myself in these emails. If I'm standing in the office and a joke pops in my mind, I'll usually stop somebody mid sentence and make the joke. Yeah. If I'm writing the email, I'm not even kidding you. If I'm writing the email and in the middle of a sentence, a joke comes to mind, you put it in. I'll get her yeah. down. I'll type the joke and I'll go back and finish the previous sentence but that joke's going in there <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, videos, I mean, I Rick rolled somebody or <laughs> I Rick rolled the entire uh, mailing list the other night. You know, I was, I just, I was typing along and I was like, what if I stuck the, you know, the never going to give you yeah. a, you know, song in there. And I, and I stuck the thing and I said, you know, important news must read. And it was a link to the video. <laughs> and so I think that whether it's professional, which it's not, uh, or not, uh, whether it's professional or not is beside the point. I think that it's, it's an opportunity for me to express myself as the leader of this company, whether people like it or not. Um, and, and it's, it's been quite fun because I've built email relationships with dozens of people. I've got this one thing, this one lady, she emails me and she knows how busy and tired I am and all that. And she'll say, you really have to get sleep. <laughs> not respond to this email. <laughs> She's being a mom to you. Because <laughs> you don't respond to this. You don't have time. So I'll respond to the email. I'll say, thank you, da, 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 da. So then a week later, she'll email me again. I really liked this email that you sent out today. Do not respond to this email. <laughs> and, I, and so it's like this thing where joke. Yeah. I'm going, I'm, she's getting a response. But um, so it's, it's really neat because I've ended up building relationships with customers over email that I'd never had before. And, yeah. and it's, it, it feels more, it feels more purposeful and wholesome than just having a website and selling products. It, yeah. It's really kind of a cool thing. So that's, that's kind of how it came to be. And that's what it is today. Yeah. And, and figuring out where to go from here is, yeah. um, is, is definitely a, a challenge for me. Just one of the things that I've thought about, you may have some opinions on this, I need to find some good ways to curate information that I can put into the email that would be useful to the readers, um, you know, so that it's, it's, it's a way for them to get some information about world events or about technology yeah. or about whatever that would be, that would, I, I just, I want to be, I want to continue being a benefit to the people yeah. that read. Them. So that, that's, that's one yeah. of the, yeah, that's one of the goals, but that's how, it, that's kind of how it came to be. It's kind of neat. Yeah. So, so if someone, if someone wants to get on that list, what do they do? Um, so you go to Cables and Kits. Um, 
this will seem a little weird, but right now the easiest way to sign up is go to the safety supplies landing page, which when you land on cables and kits, there's a big banner on the homepage today, or in the top right corner, there's the safety supplies category. Click on that, scroll to the bottom of that page, and there is a daily CEO uh, email sign-up form at the bottom. Okay. We're going to have a, a different sign-up area soon, but for right now, that's okay. where it lives. If you want to sign up for that, you can do that there. And uh, we'd love to, I'd love to have you on there. And, and if you do sign up, um, you know, reach out and let me know that you, that you signed up. All right. Sounds good. Well, well, thank you, Craig, for sharing uh, your life with us and uh, for all that, that you do for, for me and others. And thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was really a blast. Yeah. All right. Well, th- for additional stories and systems to work smarter and live better, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode, and we look forward to having you listen in to the next episode of Grow Your Life.